Welcome to the America's Workforce Radio Podcast, the flagship production of the American Workers Radio and Podcast Network, where organized labor and its never-ending fight to protect the rights of the American worker come first. Now, presented by LIUNA, Laborers International Union of North America, here's your host, Ed Flash Ferens. Amazon in violation of federal safety laws. So says OSHA. Teamsters voting on that new contract, and there is a group pushing a vote no campaign. Today on the show, the latest from the Communication Workers of America and what the building trades in Maine say about the new law on offshore wind development. Welcome to the Tuesday, August 8th edition of America's Workforce, where we are available on at least five platforms, including Apple Podcasts, Google Podcasts, iHeartRadio, Spotify, and Pandora. This being the second Tuesday of the month, it goes to Mr. Frank Matthews, Administrative Director for District 4 of the Communication Workers, cwa-union.org is their national website. A couple things we're going to get into. This is Election Day in the state of Ohio. And Frank represents one of the five states in the Midwest, including Ohio. So we're going to talk about voting no on issue one, which, if passed, if passed, would end simple majority rule in Ohio as we have known it in our Constitution for over 100 years, actually 111 years. One person, one vote. You heard me talk about this wholeheartedly on the show with various guests. And Frank is just going to button it up because today, again, is Election Day. We'll find out the results tonight. Also, CWA on a campaign to save jobs at AT AT&T. This is in response to the company's announcement that they would be closing call centers in District 4, Frank's district. So CWAers across the district and beyond are mobilizing to call on the company to cancel the closures, stop the terminations. Now, we're talking over 45 call centers that have been closed by AT&T in the country in the past 10, 11 years. Thousands of employees, their families, and communities they live in all being devastated by this trend. Workers have given years, even decades of their lives to help AT&T succeed. They're just being told, okay, we're done with you. Go home. So what they have done, the CWA launched a petition to send a powerful message to the company. Do the right thing. Save our centers. They're also working with the community allies and elected officials to bring awareness about the negative impacts of the call center closures on workers as well as communities. There's a video that you uh, can access if you go to the national website, cwa-union. Also, if we have time, we'll talk about building broadband better. Now, in the uh, Infrastructure and Jobs Act, which was signed into law almost two years ago, there's a lot of money, $65 billion allocated to expand broadband. And uh, that opens a lot of opportunities for the CWA. We just got to make sure that those jobs go to union brothers and sisters. So uh, Frank's going to be our first guest. Our second guest on the show is Jason Shedlock. Jason serves as executive director of the Maine State Building and Construction Trades Council. He's also an executive board member of the Maine AFL-CIO. And we're going to talk about 
the uh, the new law signed by the governor. And this was uh, this was not an easy road because the governor didn't want to go with a project labor agreement. And they finally called everybody together and they worked it out to make sure that there were labor standards in the piece of legislation. Jason was one of the people that made that happen under the standards contractors and subcontractors engaged in offshore wind construction activities are required to prioritize hiring members of the affected communities and main residents, thereby creating opportunities for workers in Maine to take part in this industry, which is really booming. Offshore wind is really taking off, especially on the northern Atlantic coast. The act also requires the use of hiring halls to address workforce needs. All workers must be compensated at or above the what they call emerging industry compensation threshold. And also, the new law creates a penalty for contractors who pay their workers less than the minimum pay grade. All this happened because of labor getting involved. Jason's going to talk about how the labor movement in general and the labors, our presenting sponsor here, LIUNO, Labor's International Union of North America, they've been able to build power. For example, the uh, New England region of LIUNO recently opened a new hall in Portland, Maine. And the presence in the state's largest city is a statement, says Jason, to the community and also a warning to low-road contractors that were not only willing to get into the ring, we consistently punch above our weight. <laughs> I love that. So uh, it was not easy, as I indicated, but they got it done. They got it done. And uh, Jason says he does not feel unions lost ground by reframing the deal because the governor was dead set against PLA. She said, you know, there's... There's not enough union people to build this. So what does that mean? <laughs> that means we got to do some more organizing, and Jason will talk about that. So uh, Jason Shedlock will be our second guest right here on the show. Unions in the news, making news. This labor update brought to you by Boyd Watterson Asset Management, offering fixed income real estate and equity investment options to clients across the country. And they've been doing this for almost 100 years, since 1928. You can find more at BoydWatterson.com. Well, we've got some problems at Amazon. The Department of Labor's Occupational Safety and Health Administration has found that Amazon had violated federal workplace safety laws at a fulfillment center in New Jersey. According to OSHA, workers were required to perform tasks that ultimately cause muscular disorders and neck and back injuries. Also, Amazon failed to make sure that employees received proper medical care when they were injured on the job. So what's the penalty? OSHA recommended $15,625, which, by the way, is the maximum penalty for this violation. The department has 18, 18 open investigations at Amazon locations in the United States, and according to the news service Reuters, has assessed roughly $150,000 in fines against the company this year. And when you take a look at Amazon's 
income and profits, that's pretty much a drop in the bucket, but that's the law. Last Friday, UPS workers began voting on the tentative agreement that the Teamsters reached in July. Voting will continue through the 22nd of this month. And as we reported last week, Teamster locals voted to endorse the tentative agreement by a vote of 161 to 1. Analysts expect workers to approve the deal. Seems to be going in that direction. However, a group of part-time UPS drivers calling themselves Teamsters Organize have mobilized a vote no campaign pushing for a better deal for part-time workers. Now, the tentative agreement would raise hourly wages for part-time workers from $16.20 an hour to $21. And the Teamsters Organize group say it should be at least $25. So they're $4 an hour short. We'll see what happens there. Meanwhile, we've got some uh, interesting news from uh, Amazon warehouse workers. They're rallying for better wages in the wake of the Teamsters agreement with UPS. The tentative agreement would see wages as high as $24.75 per hour. Amazon employees have started to question their own earnings, which can max out to around $20.90, but that's after three years. I say this on the show so many times, unions lift all boats. So they're watching what's going on here and saying, you know what? We could do better. We could do better. That's why the organizing is going on. An industry back group and a labor union propose competing ballot initiatives. This is out of Massachusetts, which would allow voters there to decide whether rideshare drivers are independent contractors or employees. Flexibility and benefits for Massachusetts drivers, which is a group funded in part by Uber, Lyft, and DoorDash, proposed a ballot question that, if passed, would define gig drivers as independent contractors entitled to minimum benefits. Now, enter organized labor. Activists, including... SEIU Local 32BJ, that's a pretty big union. They filed a competing ballot question that would define these drivers as employees with the right to unionize and collectively bargain. Now, the office of the Massachusetts AG Attorney General Andrea Campbell will certify whether these proposed questions meet the state's constitutional requirements if certified. The initiative's opponents would need to gather thousands of signatures in order for these questions to appear on next year's ballot. And we got a big win for IATSE, the International Association of Theatrical and Stage Employees. A majority of the 5,000 freelance TV commercial production workers who were in their own independent association have signed union recognition cards to affiliate with IATSE. They'll receive a charter as a national local, adding to the union's overall strength of some 168,000 workers, according to President Matt Loeb. IATSE will start representing them in bargaining as those production assistants, line producers, production supervisors, and assistant supervisors, and bidding producers share many of the same issues and concerns as the rest of the union members, he said. Loeb went on to say commercial production workers' issues are the very same ones this union has fought to address through collective bargaining for decades. 
as 168,000 strong working in all corners of the entertainment industry, including many who work on commercials directly alongside you. Your fight is our fight. The workers had established their own grassroots stand with production movement to address issues like low pay, unsustainable hours, lack of reasonable rest, no overtime pay or employer funded health and retirement benefits and lack of safety training. While they worked out a memo of understanding several years ago with commercial production firms, they decided they'd have more leverage as a big local in a larger union. So congratulations to that group. Big win for IATSE. All right, quick break. When we come back, we're going to check in with Frank Matthews on behalf of the Communication Workers of America. This is America's Workforce. More shows available at awfradio.com. It takes Lyuna to build North America's infrastructure. From roads and bridges to schools and skyscrapers, the men and women of Lyuna, the Laborers International Union of North America, build the projects we depend on. From constructing the Freedom Tower on the site of the former World Trade Center to untangling Washington, D.C.'s congested interstate, Lyuna members do the work that matters. Find out what it takes to be built by Lyuna at lyuna.org. That's L-I-U-N-A dot org. We're the nurses, firefighters, and claims representatives that help keep our government services running. We respond to natural disasters. We care for our nation's veterans. And we investigate discrimination in the workplace. We are federal and D.C. government workers. And we are proud to serve the American people. Working in more than 70 agencies across the government, we know we can fulfill our mission because our union has our back. Learn more at AFGE.org. Paid for by the American Federation of Government Employees, AFL-CIO. America's Workforce is brought to you in part by the International Brotherhood of Teamsters, where you can find more at Teamster.org. America's Workforce Radio is sponsored in part by the International Union of Painters and Allied Trades, District Council 6, representing painters, glazers, drywall finishers, and sign and display industry workers. They remind you that belonging to a union is your right as an American. America's Workforce is brought to you in part by the Communication Workers of America. You can find more at cwa-union.org. Now, back to Ed Flash Ferrens with America's Workforce. And don't forget, you can check us out on Facebook or follow us on Twitter or X, as it's now called. <laughs> it just kills me what's going on with that company. And uh, don't forget, everything is archived at awfpodcast.com, awfpodcast.com. By the way, this next segment brought to you in part by the Ohio Federation of Teachers. You can find more at oh.aft.org, one of the many unions fighting issue one, which uh, is on the ballot today in the state of Ohio. And joining us on our live line right now is one of our sponsors. That would be the Communication Workers of America, Mr. Frank Matthews, who is the administrative director for District 4, four states, five states, I should say, in the Midwest. But one of them is the state of Ohio. And all eyes are on the state of Ohio today. Mr. Matthews, welcome back to the show. And I know you've been hitting the hitting the pavement, pounding the pavement here, making sure that, number one, people vote, and number two, that they vote no. Talk to me about uh, what you've been up to here, buddy. Well, my, my feet are tired, but uh, we've got about uh, about four hours to go here, and, uh, you know, it's, uh, it's, it's, it's 
it'll be interesting. I'm cautiously optimistic, but it still depends on turnout. And, um, you know, we've been knocking doors and, and talking to folks and, um, you know, people are getting it. Um, you know, the, 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 the rallies have been really good. Um, you know, the most of the folks that we're seeing that are supporting this bad uh, bill are one-trick ponies, and they're 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 supporting it for one reason. Um, you know what they foresee could be coming up in November on a um, a choice ballot initiative. But what we're finding that a lot of the people that are that are even maybe somewhat conservative and somewhat supportive of that effort are concerned with is what's beyond that because there's so many issues that you know that this house and senate and these leaders in ohio uh... if this if this poor piece of legislation or, or this poor initiative would get passed here um, or this bad initiative, I guess, is the best way to say it. You know, they could virtually do anything in Columbus without any checks and balances from from the, you know, we wouldn't be able to have any checks and balances with our elected leaders. And, you know, um, very few ballot initiatives, very few even people that run for office win with 60% of the vote. So you talk about power going unchecked and, and a power grab here, and people get that. I mean, what I've heard time and time again from some folks is, okay, you know, I'm very, you know, I'm very conservative. They, they'll say, I'm worried about what happens down the road if the power dynamic would change. You know, this is really an issue that affects both sides of the political spectrum because there'll be a day when, um, maybe this, uh, you know, the the power spectrum in Columbus isn't exactly supportive to their issues, and and they're smart enough. They're saying, well, what then? Am I going to need sixty percent of the votes to overturn this issue that affects me? So, um, I think the intent was to make this a one trick one trick pony and one issue and get low turnout in that. But um, you know, the Ohio voter, I think, is smarter than that, and. You know, I've had many folks in in southeastern Ohio that I've talked to that have been lifelong Republicans that um, have have signs in their yard that you know they get it. They get it. This this isn't one issue. This is a this is a bigger deal than that. And um, you know, I guess the 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 thing that I've asked a lot of folks that have said, okay, well, you know give me a good reason to um to to vote you know against this and other than the fact that you know a yes vote actually changes the constitution you see on a lot of signs for the for the proponents of this thing protect the constitution that's a bold-faced lie they're actually changing the constitution constitution for 110 years it's been one vote one person one vote majority rules and, um, you know, if this bill would pass or if this, if this gets passed today, um, essentially what you're saying is that uh, 41% of the people will have more power than 59% because, you know, we could throw a ballot initiative on or any group 
could throw a ballot initiative on, and if they didn't get 59% of the vote, at least, you know, 60% of the vote, it's not going to pass. So that is essentially saying that 40% of the people will have more power than 60%. And that's not the uh, the way this state's run. That's not what our Constitution says. So, you know, I, I get very, um, you know, adamant when I talk to these folks and say, this isn't about the Constitution. If it was, you would automatically be a no vote because this is actually protecting the Constitution. I think a good question that people can ask themselves if they're on the fence is, um, and take politics out of this, if if this ballot initiative was being proposed by the Democrats, would they still support it? And most people have told me, said, well, no. And I said, well, there's your answer. You know, you must vote no on this to to protect the status quo protect the Ohio Constitution and prevent these this power grab in Columbus by by these leaders that don't want question. They do not want you and I, the average citizen, to be able to come back and question them about anything. And that's what it's about at the end of the day. So let's just hope we, we finish strong today. And, you know, the polls are open until 730. Um, if you're in line, they got to let you vote. Um, if you're question, if you question your polling location, you can go to the Secretary of State's website. And one of the things I wanted to remind folks is is um, Ohio has also changed its voting ID laws, so you're going to requ- be required of a photo ID. Um, you know, a couple of the forms that are accepted are Ohio driver's license, Ohio state ID, an interim certificate for the Bureau of Motor Vehicles a passport, a military ID, um, you know, IDs from other, uh, IDs now from other states, including social security numbers, bank statements, utility bills, and student ID cards are not accepted. So we can see some of the changes that have been made there to, to prevent folks from voting, even though there's, you know, nobody, no, there's not a big group of people standing in line to break the laws just so they can go vote. But, you know, the the restrictions have been put on this, so folks need to understand there are some some photo ID stuff, and so that hopefully helps. Um, the only other thing I can think of is if, you, if you're mailing in your ballots, they must be postmarked by yesterday, and your the Board of Elections must receive receive them by August 12th, I believe. And you can turn in your absentee ballot today as long as you turn it in uh, at your local board of elections by 7:30 tonight. So you got about uh, you got about four hours here. Um, let's run through the tape, and uh, I'm going to go back out, and we're going to be knocking on doors and reminding people that it's election day, and and hopefully uh, we have a good evening here. Great job on this, Frank. I, I know you did your homework on this and you laid it all out. But uh, what I want to take this one step further here. You, you mentioned going into the various neighborhoods, rural parts of Ohio. I have to ask you, do people realize how much this election is costing them? And I bring that up because this legislature said not long ago that all the selections are no good. Nobody shows up. They're too costly, but they decided to put it on the ballot anyway. I'm just wondering, what what are people saying about that? Do they understand how much money is coming out of the tax revenue in the state of Ohio because of this? 
you know i think they do um and and the there's really very few groups that are um i mean of 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 the that side of the uh, aisle that are really excited about this and um you know it's like uh to your point you know a, a year ago the 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 state assembly and or the state senate and, st- and state house basically said they were going to outlaw august elections because they were a total waste of money frank larose himself you know basically um said they were a waste of money uh and then had a sudden change of heart when they saw the opportunity for this power grab and to uh to do this and um you know, it's. Uh, I think people get it. Um, that's why we're seeing such a, an early vote turnout that matches other years, uh, other uh, like election years where we've actually had uh, Senate seats on the ballot and and House seats and state house seats. We're seeing just as high an early vote in this case. I think that's the reason, um, even with the the ID changes, and um, you know. Uh, I see a mixture of folks. It's not it's not straight party lines that are against this. It's it's both sides that they see the bigger picture that that um, that this could affect us for for decades here in Ohio. And I say this to those folks that are that, that are supporting that are supporting this. That what happens when when the power in Columbus changes, and maybe necessarily not your party or not your type of politician is in there and they want to throw restrictions on things that matter to you like um guns or or anything that's near and dear to your heart and you want to overturn it and you want to hold them in and check do you really want to hit that bar have to hit that bar at 60 percent to overturn it when ohio has been a majority state forever the whole country is a majority state i mean we you know, I, I've talked to people before, and I said, you know, what's really, what's really a crime here is all these politicians that are pushing this power grab. Probably, if they had to get sixty percent of the vote in election, they wouldn't be in office where they're at now. That's how hard that sixty percent margin is, and they know that. And mm-hmm. and I think it's a scare. I think they're just running scared because they know, you know, and and. Not to get too deep into the weeds here, but the, the U.S. Supreme Court basically just said that the Ohio maps are gerrymandered to the point of unfairness. So we know that's going to get addressed in the next year. And if the maps are straightened out or brought more in line like they were have been in Michigan and like they're going to be in Wisconsin now, you know, that's going to throw a certain... Um, uh, more fairness during elections, so you could. It is not out of the realm of the possibility that you could see a power change in Columbus, and that's what a lot of this is about. I think so. Uh, you know, I mean, it's it's a it's a power grab. It's a it's a last gasp to hold power. I mean, let's uh, you know, let's be honest. Uh, you know, Ohio's gerrymandered to the point and of unfairness, and you know it. We know it. They know it, and they want to hold on to that power. So um, uh, they're throwing everything they can so we can't question 
anything with ballot initiatives. And um, I think people get that. People see the power grab, but there's really not much we can do right now other than vote no because of the way things are gerrymandered. So let's just take it one fight at a time. Let's fight this back. And I I hope that uh, the the folks that are supporting this and putting this on the ballot, I mean, let's be honest, that I, I saw where they had almost a $5 million budget to to do this and over four million was was um was donated by one person out of Illinois. So it is being pushed by out of state big money interest and um I think people get that. Vote no on issue one. You can find more at UnionStrongOhio.com. I've been hitting that website, UnionStrongOhio.com. The polls close at 730 in the state of Ohio tonight. Frank Matthews joining us on our live line on behalf of District 4 of the Communication Workers of America national website, cwa-union.org. Later in the show, we're going to check in with the head of the Maine State Building Trades and talk about those labor protections built into the bill dealing with offshore wind. It's all part of America's Workforce. Back in a few. You're listening to America's Workforce with Ed Flash Ferrans. It takes Lyuna to power North America with affordable energy. The men and women of Lyuna, the Laborers International Union of North America, have the skills needed to build and maintain oil, natural gas, nuclear, solar, and wind projects that are shaping America's energy future. From new energy tech to retrofitted facilities, Lyuna members do it all. Find out what it takes to be powered by Lyuna at Lyuna.org. That's L-I-U-N-A. America's Workforce is brought to you in part by the Heat and Frost Insulators Labor Management Cooperative Trust. Find out more at insulators.org forward slash LMCT. This segment of America's Workforce is brought to you by Survey and Ballot Systems. SBS has been providing unions with secure and flexible election options for over 30 years. Visit surveyandballotsystems.com to learn more. America's Workforce is brought to you in part by the United Auto Workers. Find more at UAW.org. There is unity and strength for workers. We are the USW. We are the USW. The The United United Steelworkers. The largest industrial union in North America. We represent 850,000 members in In the the US, US, Canada, Canada, and the the Caribbean. We work in metals, rubber, chemicals, paper, oil refining, atomic energy, and the service sector. We are steel workers, standing strong and fighting for what's right. America's Workforce is presented by the Labor's International Union of North America. Feel the power right now at liuna.org. Now, back to America's Workforce. Here's Ed Flash Ferens. And remember, you can check us out on at least five platforms, including Apple Podcasts, Google Podcasts, iHeartRadio, Spotify, and Pandora. And when you get an opportunity... Just sign up and receive our shows on a regular basis and give us a rating. We always appreciate those five-star ratings, so please keep them coming. By the way, this next segment brought to you in part by the North Coast Labor Federation. Joining us on our limeline today, as he does each and every month, is Mr. Frank Matthews, District 4 Administrative Director for the Communication Workers of America. Let's see, that's Ohio, Indiana, Illinois, Michigan, and Wisconsin. And we talked about what's going on in Ohio. Let's talk about what's going on. Well, this is also part of Ohio in District 4 but a number of other states, closing call centers. Over 45 call centers have been closed by AT&T in the country since 2011. We're talking 
thousands of employees being uprooted here. Frank, what's going on? I mean, what, is this supposedly a cost-saving measure here? I mean, we need yeah, call centers. Uh, what, what's going on? They try to say that, but as an example, the, the call center that they're closing um, in Southfield, Michigan, uh, right now, it's one of the several that's cl- being closed and or moved to other parts of the country. Um, it's probably one of our most productive call centers and no issues, but, um, you know, it's in this grand AT&T plan of, of consolidating these call centers. And, um, you know, some of them, you know, we're, we're just, the number that you just gave is, that's a phenomenal number. That's a lot of, it's a lot of call centers. That's a lot of job. That's about 16,000, uh, union jobs nationwide. And um, so we're talking 16,000 families. These are good jobs. I mean, these are, um, these are jobs that you can raise a family on. These are jobs that you can that include health care. These are jobs that, you know, you could send a kid to college on and, and work and, and where a parent would only have to work the one job. I mean, call center jobs, particularly union call center jobs, are, are, are good jobs. And they're good family jobs, and um, and you know basically, you know we're and it, and it started this last time. I mean we've watched this and we've fought it, and we have our we have our call center bills that we're introducing in all states about moving moving call centers outside of the country, moving call centers from state to state. It's just disrupting too many families, and we've we've. We've given AT&T and all these companies the data that shows that Americans want to talk to somebody local when they call in about their bills. Americans want to talk to somebody, particularly in the United States. Americans don't trust their health care data, their personal phone data, their personal cell data being in the hands of somebody in some other country. We've proven that that's where the majority of the, the fraud comes from, is these other countries. So why the incessant need from corporations, and particularly in this case AT&T, to, to close and move call centers um, is beyond us. So we've got this campaign going on. Um, it's called AT&T, You're Blowing It which is very appropriate, and that came right from the members. You know, it's like they couldn't understand. I mean, here we are in an era where where the company is doing phenomenal um, financially. Uh, we're in an area that we should be being shot out of a cannon into the future with broadband, and they're more concerned with closing centers. So um, what folks can go to they can actually go to if they want to um if they want to learn more to um a, a website it's where they can actually do an online petition in support of these call center workers it's www.cwad4.org slash att and when you go there it's great you can um Put your name and, and, and information to tell AT&T you're blowing it. You see a lot of information about um, where they're closing the centers, um, and, uh, and, and your name will go on a list that will be presented to AT&T. Uh, in just a week or so that this has been up, 
there are hundreds of people have signed this already, and we're just really putting it out now. So we're hoping to get thousands of signatures, hopefully tens of thousands, to present to AT&T. Um, a kind of a neat thing is the, the our members and the employees um, are actually um, – they have red balloons that they've they they have that say AT and T. You're blowing it on them. When they blow them up, they're with a black sharpie writing a message to AT and T, taking a picture of it, and we're posting those on our on our website also on our website also. So when folks go to that site, they can go to a link to see that that stuff. Um, we're seeing some informational picketing out here because you know AT and T and these companies they. They uh, they tend to want to close and move the union uh, centers, but a lot of these authorized retailers who um, are are go unchecked and they leave them open in a in a in a move to um, contract most stuff. So you're going to see some informational picketing at AT and T work locations. Um, you're going to see it at some authorized retailers. You're going to see a lot of red balloons that say AT and T. You're blowing it. And um, we just think it's an issue that um, needs to be put under the microscope. Um, if you go to our website and our Twitter pages, um, we actually had Congresswoman Rashida Tlaib out of Michigan that made a, a, a great video that highlighted just how important these jobs are in the country. She's, she covers the Southfield, Michigan area, so it directly affects her constituents and just basically takes AT&T to task and says, you know, you got to do better. You know, it's these employees and these communities that have made you successful. Don't forget that. So um, AT&T, you're blowing it, is the campaign, and, uh, you know, and these workers are um, – and that was a grassroots thing. It came from the came came right up from the locals, and I think it's a great mobilization that you know just to give AT and T the hey, you know, people are out here watching, and you got to do better, you know. Frank, you mentioned a website. Can you repeat that uh, website for our listeners? Yeah, that's www.cwad4.org/slash/at&t. Okay. Is it A T N T? Do you put the uh, just A T T? Just A T T. Okay. C W A D four dot O R G forward slash A T T. All right. Real simple there. You know, uh, while we're talking about uh, reaching out, if you go to the the National Communication Workers of America page, which is C W A dash Union dot O R G, there's also an online petition to build broadband better. Now, in the Infrastructure and Jobs Act, there's like $65 billion set aside for broadband. That's good. We got to make sure that our union brothers and sisters get those jobs. So sign the petition and ask state officials to create broadband build-out plans that ensure that that these funds go toward lasting infrastructure and creating good jobs. There's a lot of lousy jobs out there. Let's be honest. We want... Make sure that there's good wages, and obviously that's when you go in the union direction with good benefits there. All right, lots of information there, Frank. You take care. We'll talk to you uh, in a month, and uh, we'll dissect everything we talked about today. Okay, brother? Sounds great.
Okay, take you care. take care. Frank Matthews, District 4 Administrative Director for the Communication Workers of America. We're going to take a quick break. Jason Shedlock heads the building trades in the state of Maine. He's going to talk about that deal. We talked about this very much so last week on the show, but he's going to do the build-out of wind, offshore wind production. Great story. We'll talk about it next on the show. This is America's Workforce. It takes Lyuna to keep America running. Over 70,000 public employees are part of Lyuna, the Laborers International Union of North America, delivering critical services such as health care and emergency response, as well as maintaining roads and sanitation systems. Even the National Postal Mail Handlers Union, representing over 47,000 U.S. postal workers, is affiliated with Lyuna. Find out what it takes for Lyuna to keep America running at lyuna.org. That's L-I-U-N-A dot org. America's Workforce is brought to you in part by the United Steelworkers. You can find more at USW.org. America's Workforce is sponsored in part by Boyd Watterson Asset Management, LLC. Find out more about our investment solutions tailored to meet the needs of Taft-Hartley funds at BoydWatterson.com. America's Workforce is brought to you in part by the International Federation of Professional and Technical Engineers. You can find more at ifpte.org. A great union requires a reliable election system. Survey and Ballot Systems is a trusted election partner with more than 30 years of expertise in managing union elections. By partnering with SBS, your union can ensure it gets an auditable process and a high level of customer service. SBS is here to help you conduct your union vote securely, transparently, and with trust building always in mind. Visit surveyandballotsystems.com to learn more. America's Workforce is brought to you in part by the Ironworkers. You can find more at ironworkers.org. Now, back to Ed Flash Ferrance with America's Workforce. And remember, you can check us out on Facebook or follow us on Twitter or X, whatever they call that company now. And uh, that would be awfpodcast.com, awfpodcast.com. By the way, this next segment brought to you in part by the United Labor Agency, always connecting people with employment, good employment, good wages, good benefits, ulagency.org. Let's go to the state of Maine right now. And joining us on line number two is Jason Shedlock. Jason is uh, executive director of the Maine State Building and Construction Trades Council. And he's here to uh, talk about the deal that was crafted a couple of weeks ago with the governor. At first, the governor said, no PLAs. Can't have PLAs. There's not enough union people here, and we're screwing over the non-union people in the state of Maine. Well, enter the Maine AFL-CIO, and people like Jason said, wait, 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 wait a minute. we got to do better here. We can't just have a bill here. Anybody, any bozo is going to come over here and work on this uh, this project here, which takes skilled labor. So Jason was in the conversation to make sure that there were very strong labor standards. Jason, did I get that right? I mean, in a nutshell, I know I know you worked pretty hard on this, but isn't that pretty much the story that happened in Maine? It is. You managed to encapsulate uh, about a year and a half's worth of work in, in about 15 seconds. So, uh, But you're absolutely right. You know, we, uh, you know, as president of the Maine Building Trades, I'm certainly honored to be able to represent our 20 affiliates. And, you know, I like to say up here and uh, PLA is a three-letter acronym, but a four-letter word, it seems, to many people. And, and we wanted to make sure that, you know, this was, you know, this was health care to us. This was Obamacare. This was the big one when it comes to building out a new uh, energy 
uh, green energy industry in the offshore wind field, as well as support infrastructure around it. So we were willing to walk up uh, right to the line uh, and stand there until we got what we needed to get on behalf of working families. And, and I, I read a couple of quotes that, that, that you're pretty happy. Obviously, you would like the PLA. But why don't you explain briefly what, what kind of labor protections we're talking about here to make sure that the workers are going to, you know, come back from a day's work and be justly paid for their work and get the benefits that they, they uh, deserve? Sure. And, you know, I think what we did was we stepped back and we said, OK, you know, there's obviously words and phrases and stereotypes around them that uh, are not acceptable to you know the governor and uh, to some members uh, of the main house and main senate so we step back and say what do we actually want what do those three letters mean and you know me being a person that uh you know i could uh, something that's needs to be said in five words i can say in 25 and we made sure to to go through and and you know looked at things like temporary workers you know, we have a lot of temp agencies here in Maine, and, you know, we know that those workers and the salaries that they pull down, uh, they're not family-sustaining jobs, and, you know, certainly with no benefits. We looked at things like independent contractors, and we know misclassification is rampant across the country, and Maine is not immune to that. So we took a look at that and made sure that independent contractors are not welcome on, on, on these job sites. Temp mm-hmm. workers... Uh, temp agencies, you know, don't get to play in the sandbox here. We have plenty of work opportunities and are hiring in every single one of our 20 affiliated unions of the main building trades. So we wanted to make sure that they got the first chance to get the work. And you know, throughout the process, you know, I had to repeat over and over again. And, you know, I happen to be privileged to be the person who would have signed a project labor agreement. And I still will. It's an option in this bill. Right. But I said, you know, I would serve, I would sign it with anyone, you know, anyone who's willing to follow the rules. And we put some strict rules and standards in place as far as wages and benefits. The wages and benefits have to mirror the local collectively bargained rate of the trade unions in that area, no matter what. If it's a union or a non-union contractor, that was a big win for us. It sets the floor, and actually you know, the floor is, kind of becomes a ceiling because finally we're able to to bring up wages in the state of Maine. So. You know, everybody has to play by a number of different rules. And even in the event a non-union contractor manages to win a bid to build this industry or part of it, they have to share the responsibilities and share the work and provide opportunities for union signatory contractors uh, if they need additional help. And I can mm-hmm. tell you that there's not five contractors that can work together in the state of Maine that have the, the, the horsepower to be able to do this thing. So they're absolutely going to need us. So one way or another, our current and future members are going to be very busy because of the work that we've done in the state house in Augusta. Jason, let me ask you this. If somebody does not play by the rules and you know, you know, this happens, there's always uh, unscrupulous contractors out there. There's many. And uh, if they get caught doing that, does this bill have some serious repercussions for that individual or that business? It's a good question. And it absolutely does. You know, a bunch of years ago, we, we got very excited and, and, and passed some strong labor standards. And we've been doing some creative things around prevailing wage and around registered apprenticeship standards. But, you know, I think we, we kind of spiked the ball before we got to the goal line when we thought about the enforcement and the capacity to do so. Mm-hmm. The state of Maine can use 
you know, there are 20 people in their Bureau of Labor Standards for investigations. But in this bill, uh, we hope that the provisions there, not only to provide you know, adequate staffing for it, but to provisions around wage theft and private right of action uh, and, you know, making sure that the, the penalties uh, are in place and, you know, that we as labor unions can make a direct uh, referral to the enforcement agency and basically point and say, go here, use your resources and go here. We know what's happening here. Um, and they are very open to do that and very appreciative of it. So it's going to be a good partnership moving forward. So there is uh, some serious sticks, I suppose, uh, as well as carrots in the legislation. Jason, I want to talk about Labor's International. It's my understanding that the uh, New England region of uh, Lyuna has a hiring. They actually opened a new a new hall in Portland, Maine. And is that because of, of this development here? Can you explain what's going on there? Because I know you have ties to uh, Lyuna. Absolutely. I'm a proud member and uh, regional organizer for the New England uh, Regional Organizing Fund. And our leadership in New England and, and our international leadership, leadership, especially in New England, they saw the possibilities uh, and they saw the runway in the state of Maine. I'm sitting in that office uh, right now. And, you know, it is a testament to the growth of the labor movement in general, certainly the building trades, and most specifically, the Laborers International Union. You know, our, our leadership has made a significant investment in the state of Maine. Uh, you know, when folks think of union power, perhaps Maine isn't the first state that they think of. But, you know, don't go to sleep on us up here because we're doing some things under the radar and that's just fine with us because at the end of the day, the important thing is that our current and future members uh, have good family-sustaining jobs, and, and we're making gains every day uh, on that with populations across the entire state, mm-hmm. uh, and, and that's very important to us. We want to make sure that our workforce and what they look like uh, reflects the diversity in each of our communities. Jason, I want to talk about organizing, and I brought this up last week with the uh, with the main AFL-CIO. There, this seems to me, and I'm sure it seems to you as well, uh, a great opportunity, especially if you've got folks that are non-union that are going to be working on some of these jobs to come over to the union side. And when, once they realize that they could be making more money, getting better benefits, I mean, I, and the growth of the wind industry in itself, which is astronomical in that area, um, how do you view that going forward? You've got to have some goals in mind, don't you? Well, we have to. And, you know, there's there's no scenario where we can staff the work if you said the job starts tomorrow. That's why we put this in place, and we have that that timeline to be able to staff up. But the other thing that you mentioned is very important in that as non-union contractors get work on this uh, on this in this industry, and they will, um, but those workers have to make a, a wage uh, or a wage package that is akin to the entire wage package of the collectively bargained rate. Sure. So even if they do uh, work for that non-union contractor, well, that project's going to end at some point. And, you know, I'm willing to bet that a good portion of those workers are going to take a look at their pay stub and say, well, I'm, I'm okay taking a $15 pay cut now. They're going to look over and they, they're going to see where they need to go 
to cr- continue to uh, earn those family sustaining wages and benefits. And that's uh, that's the come to the laborers and our other 19 affiliates of the Building Trades Council. Yeah. You know, it's funny you mentioned that. I was talking earlier in the show about Amazon, the warehouse workers and the drivers. They, they've been watching the Teamsters here. And, you know, the Teamsters worked out Well, they're still voting on the contract, the rank and file. Yeah. But they negotiate a pretty darn good contract. And now Amazon, which is traditionally non-union and fighting unions every day, they're saying, wait a minute, uh, I want those wages. <laughs> unions lift all boats, don't they? <laughs> Without a doubt. And, you know, I'd like to say, you know, we have a healthy competition uh, with each other. You know, if somebody's uh, holding a fundraiser, and they say, well, how much did you, you know, how much did you uh, donate to the fundraiser? Well, we're going to donate $500 more, you know, and it's, and it's all in good fun and it's support a good cause. Well, what better cause is there than, you know, than lifting up working families? And, and we're seeing that here in the state of Maine as well. You know, folks uh, all throughout the state, uh, it, it has been, I can't remember the last time that I have gotten so many cold calls uh, from people that want to form a union. How do we do it? I, you know, this is, you know, pe- workers, I, you know, a lot of folks say that, well, they're finding their voice. Uh, I, I'm not sure if that's a hundred percent true. The way I like to look at it is uh, they already have their voice. They're just finding the megaphone. Uh, and that megaphone is, uh, is a labor union. And, you know, we're, we're, we're proud to be that for them, but we're seeing it happen across the entire state. And, you know, certainly when we, uh, when we show, that we're willing to uh, stand on the line with our arms crossed um, until we get what we know uh, working families deserve. I think other people are emboldened by that. And I think that's what you referred to as well with Amazon, but certainly it's happening in the state of Maine too. And, and we continue to have our foot squarely uh, punched down on the pedal up here. I love it. Once again, Jason Shedlock, president of the Maine State Building and Construction Trades Council. I stand corrected. I said earlier he was the uh, executive director, but he's actually president, also serves as secretary treasurer. Jason, great job. Thank you uh, for joining us and keep in touch with us on this project, okay? I absolutely will. And thanks for your work and spreading the good word. And that'll be it for another edition of America's Workforce. Coming up tomorrow, we're going to check in with the Iron Workers, the Great Lakes District Council, and. And I'm BEW member, now a state senator in Maryland. Until then, all of you have a safe and wonderful day. That concludes another episode of the America's Workforce Radio Podcast. Thanks for listening, and be sure to subscribe so you never miss a show. America's Workforce is a production of Labor Tools and BMA Media Group. Find out more information online at labortools.com.